Welcome to the Renew Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two millennial women who enjoy discussing God's Word and how it applies to our lives. We believe in seeking to be rooted and established in the Word and allowing its truth to penetrate every area of our lives. everybody, welcome to another episode of Renew Theology. Today is the third part of our three-part series on the Old Testament law. And today we are discussing different challenges that Christians often hear to the Old Testament law. And we're going to hopefully offer some clarity on those and give some different explanations for those challenges. Yeah, so um, we're doing this because oftentimes when um, Christians are speaking on, like, Christian morality, unbelievers will come up with challenges like, oh, like, you don't follow the Old Testament law. Like, you wear clothes of two different materials and, like, um, the Old Testament saw it lost. It was okay to have slaves and, like, you eat bacon and, like, all these all these different laws that are so, so not culturally or spiritually related to where we are right now and it's like when they throw out those objections it's like there was the rest of what the christian has said doesn't really matter um which is not true and there are answers to a lot of those laws that may at first glance seem controversial per se um and we're going to go through um three of those so the we're going to talk about slavery we're going to talk about um, clothing woven out of two different materials, and when a raped victim is forced to marry the rapist. So these are pretty common objections. So just a quick overview of why these objections are answerable. Um, so the Old Testament law, as we've spoken of, these is was specific to the Hebrew people for a specific period of time. Um, often the ceremonial laws are for ritual cleansing, and they're no longer necessary because we have the cross. Um, well, the moral laws still matter. Now, a lot of law in the Old Testament is case law. So what to do if or when something happens, not encouraging the things it's discussing. So like, I guess divorce would be a good example of this is like God knew that it would happen. So he set out guidelines to protect the people involved when it does. But God still hates divorce, um, if that makes sense. So a lot of other laws are taken out of historical context. um, So like slavery. So we're going to talk about those. We're going to give a quick little synopsis of the whole series and then wrap it up in a neat little bow and then do our question of the week. So that is what's coming up. So let's talk about slavery first. Yes, let's. Okay. So before we even get into this one, I need to make a clarification. So a lot of the time people challenge slavery and they say, okay, like how on earth could God um, allow slavery to happen in the Bible? And the issue with this is really one of translation almost, um, because when we in North America hear the word slavery, we think, you know, America's history with enslaving the African people. But that's an entirely different kind of slavery than what existed in ancient Israel. So Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 7 says this, If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. This is a description similar to that of America's history with slavery, where people were stealing another person and selling them for profit. This sort of slavery, as I just read, was condemned by God, and the punishment was death. There, That was it. That sort of slavery 
would not have existed in the ancient Hebrew Hebrew culture because anybody found to be doing that was put to death. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. The slavery we're talking about today is that of social or economic slavery. A better word for it, it's hard to translate, but a better word for it would maybe be bond servant where you owe somebody a debt and so you indenture yourself to into service for them in order to pay back your debt. So that's what we're going to be discussing. Okay, so in Exodus 21, we find laws about slavery. In verse 2, it says, When you buy a Hebrew slave, he is to serve for six years. Then in in the seventh, he is to leave as a free man without paying anything. Um, So this is referring to, like, the the seventh year being the the Sabbath year, um, where all debts are forgiven and all every all the slaves go free and go home um this was a law that was that god had given the jewish people um so the thing to notice here is that's when you buy a hebrew slave now god's talking to hebrews so it's not like they're saying um when you buy a canaanite slave it's okay to enslave them because they're canaanite like this is happening to people of the same ethnic group per se so it's not racial slavery but it's social and economic servitude another point to make here is that the phrase when you buy a Hebrew slave isn't referring to like a slave market. The idea isn't that you're going out to buy someone else who's already in servitude. Um, God condemns that, selling another person, human being for profit. Um, it's always voluntary servitude per se. So this is a, a Hebrew slave or a person who has sold himself into it, into slavery for a set period of time. Remember in the seventh year, they go free. Um, and then there's certain laws based on if they have family and, and whatnot, or if they want to stay, they can stay. The Basically, the slave has rights and they have um, protections for how long they're allowed to be there. And then if they haven't worked off their debt in seven years, hey, the debt's forgiven. Um, so this is totally not capturing people, transporting them, and then selling them for personal gain. Now, this whole concept of slavery is pretty important to me. Um, this past summer, I worked in a museum that deals with black history in southwestern Ontario. Um, really neat opportunity, but it was it's very clear how much racism and slavery has divided North America and how this can be such a divisive issue if it's not understood properly. Um, if someone who is a believer comes up with, oh, well, slavery's in the Bible, so what happened in the American South was okay. Like, no, that's so not, it's so not true. And at first glance, if you don't understand the history behind it, it can be very confusing and very off-putting. So God promotes reconciliation and love and he redeems relationships and he restores them between brothers. As Bethany mentioned, we are in Exodus chapter 21 right now. And so I'm going to go into verses 20 and 21 if you're following along. These are the verses that a lot of people take issue with when it comes to slavery in the Bible. So verse 20 says this, When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. Now a lot of people hear this and say, this is not good, and we should throw out the whole Bible. Um, but I'm going to offer an explanation for this. So the first explanation Bethany mentioned a few minutes ago, um, this is an example of case law. So this is not God endorsing slavery. Rather, he's saying, okay, when this happens, this is how it needs to be handled. 
I'm going to go back a couple of verses and read verses 18 and 19. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear, only he shall pay for the loss of his time, and shall have him thoroughly healed. This is this section of scripture is talking about what happens when people fight. There's also details about what happens if a pregnant woman is struck and loses her child because of it. Um, and you can read that on your own. But we see in verses 18 and 19 what happens when two men quarrel. And now we're seeing in verses 20 and 21 what happens when a master and slave quarrel. So it's a similar situation, but a little bit different in terms of servants. So it's interesting to note here too that the phrase, he shall be avenged, refers to the death penalty. When it says he died, so he shall be avenged, that means that the person who killed him is going to receive the death penalty. So in verse 21, it said, but if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged for the slave is his money. So that doesn't mean that no recompense will happen. It just means that the master does not need to receive the death penalty because the slave did not die. This is actually promoting the status of the slave. It's putting the slave on the same level as the master. His life is just as valuable as the master's. It's a life for a life. Um, It's not as though he dies and the master just has to pay $50 or um, give a donkey to his family or something like it's not devaluing the life of the slave if anything it's promoting the value of the slave so but what if the offense is a little lesser verse 26 says when a man strikes the eye of a slave male or female and destroys it he shall let the slave go free because of his eye if he knocks out the tooth of his slave male or female he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth this is what happens if the slave survives injury for injury so it's it's the same as in other um, quarrels, if even if it's like two people who are not master and slave. So if if he hits you in the eye, you get to you get to not be a slave anymore. So this is a loss of investment, sort of, for the master, and the slave now has their freedom back without having to continue out their servitude to pay back um, their debt. And like it's the same for the tooth. He, he gets to go free. So it's a financial hit. Um, it's like a lifestyle hit for the master who no longer has this servant and still is out the money that they had loaned or whatever to get this person. And it just puts that slave in having rights and privileges and being protected under the law as a human being. It simply governs this idea where a person can if they're in a tough situation they're not going to starve they have the option of hiring themselves out for a period of time and being fed and paying off a debt and then in seven years they're able to now go and live on their own again it's preventing a lot of the issues that we might actually have now currently it prevents abuse yeah. Right. Like if the master, if you are in a place where you are forced into bond servitude and you have this debt to pay off, you know that you can pay off that debt in working for this person and not suffer abuse for it. 
right? Yep. Because there are laws protecting you. Yep. And I think it's also interesting to point out that if this had happened between two men who were not, neither were a slave, if two men were quarreling and they struck a woman who was pregnant and so her baby was born prematurely but the baby was alive, however it was injured in some way, that's when the whole eye for eye, tooth for tooth comes into play. So mm-hmm. if you if you find those verses in that chapter, um, you'll see that if the baby is born prematurely and it has a loss of sight because it was struck, then the person who struck the woman also loses their sight. That's their punishment. And that's Jesus. That's actually the law Jesus refers to in the Gospels where he says, you have heard it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And so that was the law. That's how it worked. And so in this situation, the master's not losing an eye, but the servant does go free and is removed from any potential further harm. woven of two materials. So the verses for these are Leviticus 19 and verse 19 and Deuteronomy 22 verses 9 through 11. Um, so Deuteronomy 22 verses 9 through 11 says, you shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited. For the crop that you have sown in the yield of the vineyard, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. So this specifies the blending of wool and linen. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 19 repeats the same law, but it's a little bit less specific. It says, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two different kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two different kinds of material. So some people may say this contradicts. I think the Deuteronomy passage is just more specific about what kinds of material and In reality, the ancient Hebrews would have really had no other options other than wool and linen. Um, So wool would have come from their animals, their sheep and their goats, and linen was um, made from flax stalks. In saying that you shouldn't have two kinds of material, it's nearly implied that that was referring to wool and linen. Um, Even in this case... Just remember our previous episode when we're talking about how the 613 laws that are laid out in the the Old Testament, it's not like we have the entire law book. In fact, a lot of these laws are repeated and they're slightly different. And different laws have different nuances for different times and specific people. Um, So just because these two maybe different laws just have different wording doesn't mean that they contradict. It just might have been for two different people or two different groups in different times. Um, and it's not like, this is the rule book. These 116 laws are the only laws that God gave. Um, there's a different perspective. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to episode two or part two of the series. Um, so the ephod worn by the high priest was the only garment that mixed wool and linen. And this was laid out specifically in the instructions for that. It's probable that this ceremonial, not moral law, was about distance between people and the high priest. So just the setting apart, the the sanctification um, of the high priest being so very different. In fact, mixing seed when planting a field, um, another law, again, it's about holiness. So the Hittites had a similar law about not mixing seed except for religious ceremonies. I think it's also interesting, though, that 
there was just such a difference, right? Like I, like Bethany just mentioned, the high priest was allowed to mix those two fabrics just for his special garment, but nobody else was allowed to do that. Something else that was a little bit different was that there was a specific blend of oils that the priests were to use for anointing, and nobody else in Israel was allowed to blend oils that way. So again, you see certain mixing happening just for ceremonial rituals in the tabernacle that the whole congregation was not allowed to do and it was just another way of setting God's holiness apart from the people. Our last law that we are going to discuss is sort of a sensitive issue and that is that rape victims were forced to marry their rapist. So we are going to offer an explanation for this. These verses are found in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 and 29. So those two verses say this. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife because he violated her. He may not divorce her all his days. So a lot of people just look at this and say, that's just cruel. Um, you know, this woman, this poor woman gets raped and then she's forced to marry the man and there is no option for divorce. And a lot of people check out at that point. But we are going to dive a little bit deeper and we are also going to read this in context by talking about a few of the earlier verses in the passage in a few moments. Um, and we are also going to even talk about some Greek words, which is something we don't do a lot because neither Bethany or I know Greek. Or Hebrew. But we read some articles by some people smarter than us who do know Greek. So hopefully that will be helpful. All right. So the first thing to notice in here is that she is an unattached virgin. She is not married. She is not promised to anybody. She is not betrothed. She is single. The thing that people um, hear that sounds like rape to them is that the man seizes her. In English, this is sort of a violent word. When you see something, you're sort of like grabbing it forcefully. Um, so it sounds like he sort of forces himself on her in this situation. And then at the end of the verse, it says she shall be his wife because he has violated her, which also sounds like non-consensual sexual relations. And then the whole not divorcing thing just sounds like insult to injury. So that's why a lot of people have a problem with this verse. But there are two Greek words that we translate both of them as C's in our English language. So the first Greek word is tapas, and that means to lay hold of, um, but not forcefully. So it, this word was also used when Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce Joseph in Genesis. So she wasn't forcing herself on him, but she was trying to seduce him. It was an act of seduction. Um, and that is the word that is used here for seize. The other word um, is hazak, and that is forceful overpowering. That is um, what we typically would think of when we think of seize. It's you're forcing yourself on somebody, you're grabbing them, you're not letting go. And that word is used in earlier verses, which we're going to discuss in a moment here. So the punishment for this man was that he had to pay 50 shekels of silver. Um, and this was the bride price, the average bride price. And so he's essentially paying her father the normal bride price for what he would to marry her. And then she becomes his wife and um, they are not supposed to divorce. They're not allowed to. 
He right. says he may not divorce her all his days. So, boy, you made a decision, and now you got to pay the consequence. And the one that you chose is the one you're going to be with. Yeah. Because that's how seriously God takes sex. Yes. This um, punishment was not so much because he slept with this woman, but because he um, did not follow the correct procedure in making her his wife. So, in biblical times, you sealed that marriage covenant by consummating a relationship. And so, they essentially did that without getting the permission first. And so, that is why he needs to go and pay the price because he had not yet done that and they do get married. And I also just want to make a point about the phrase, because he violated her. A lot of the time we think of that as rape, but it's more so just referring to the fact that he was the one to take her virginity, essentially. So because they had that sexual relationship, they now need to follow it up by making that physical commitment to each other. Okay, so I've got another verse for you, another situation. This is from Exodus 22, verses 16 through 17. It says, If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and he has sexual relations with her, he must certainly pay the bridal price for her to be his wife. So this man has had a woman and convinced her to sleep with him. It's basically the same situation. Same situation. Um, And now he must pay the bride price. But if her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, where he's like, dude, honey, this, this, this boy is a sleazeball. You do not want to be attached to him for the rest of your life. He is not good for you. Like, I'm going to say no. Then he must still pay the amount in silver equal to the bridal price for virgins. Like, he still has to pay the money, but he doesn't get the bride. Like, that's a consequence. So in this, like, the dad's going to be like, yo, you seduced my daughter. You're awful. I'm not going to let her live with you. So I think what comes to my mind when we're reading these verses about um, people having sex before they're married in not so great ways is that the onus to right the wrong is on the man most of the time. Yeah. Like the woman may have consented and she may have been like, I'm not married, but I'm going to sleep with you anyway. And then she, the the man's the one that's out financially both times. Like, he's the one that has to right the wrong. She she is not. She does not have to do that. And I'm just thinking about lots of different cases in North American culture recently and a lot of the issues with women's dignity being violated and their honor being, um, like, them being dishonored and how much God had protect like, put protections in place for women who are in these circumstances. Like, God made the man own up to his actions and make restitution. Um, And we're going to see that in this next example here. earlier verses that talk about just different scenarios of people having sexual relations outside of the marriage covenant. So in verse 22, um, a situation is described as two people having an affair. So they are both married or betrothed and not to each other, and they sleep together. The result is that they both receive the death penalty. It's I think it's important to make note here that when we look at engagement now, 
it's not super binding. Like people can break an engagement and it's fine. You just don't get married. But in that culture, being betrothed or being engaged was basically being married, but without that physical union and having had the ceremony. Um, so it has all the same binding issues. So think back to um, the Christmas story when Joseph and Mary are betrothed, when he finds out that she's pregnant and he's like, y'all messed around on me. He has to, he can't just go on with his life and then not marry her. He has to give, like, he has to divorce her actually. Um, and so we're looking at this circumstance. If these people are married or betrothed, they're looking at them as if they're married, even if they are betrothed. So it's two married people that are not married to each other having sex with each other. Right. The second situation um, is in verses 25 to 27, and this describes a woman being in the country and a man raping her. And because nobody is around, um, she, whether or not she cries for help, nobody was around to rescue her. And so the man receives the death penalty. She has done nothing wrong. She is free to go. So again, we see this is protecting the life of the woman and her dignity, and it puts all the onus on the man. However, in verses 23 to 24, we see a situation where they're in town, so there are people around, and the woman is raped, but she does not cry for help. This is a situation where um, she didn't protest, she didn't let people know anything was going wrong, she didn't take the opportunity to um, be rescued, and so therefore they both received the death penalty. Because Because she was complicit. Right. There was consent there, essentially. Well, just going back to the one before, if a man rapes a woman and she can't be rescued, just if a man rapes a woman, he gets put to death. How seriously do you think God takes rape? Very seriously. Like, just think about that. The issue, like the laws that we have nowadays in our culture, in our, in like our North American world, do not reflect the severity and, and the protection that God has placed on women who are more vulnerable who are more in in a more vulnerable situation god has pretty strict laws for men who decide to rape his girls yeah for sure so this law about a man meeting a woman in an area where she can't be rescued has a really interesting parallel drawn still in deuteronomy chapter 22 um, verse 26 says this But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. For this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor because he met her in the open country. And though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. I find it really interesting that God draws this parallel between rape and murder. Like, Mm. it's obviously a really, really big deal. And... He takes it very, very seriously, and that's evidenced in these laws as well in terms of the consequences for a man who rapes a woman. So to sum up what we've been talking about here, there the Old Testament laws that are there are were there for a reason. They're there for a specific time, for a specific people, for a specific cultural circumstance, and they don't all apply to us. Um, some of them, like the, the idea of the law is God's wisdom put into practical living and so you when you're reading these laws look for god's wisdom because that's what they're evidencing yeah as bethany just mentioned some of the laws we talked about were ceremonial and some were moral 
for example, the clothing woven of two materials, that's a ceremonial law. That's something that we don't need to worry about today. There's absolutely nothing wrong with wearing clothing that is part polyester and part cotton. Not a big deal at all. You good. Yeah. However, things like rape and slavery, those are a big deal. Those are moral laws that do not change with time. God's principle of love God and love others, how that's practically lived out in these laws where God is giving his children guidelines for how to walk in love. Now that leads us into um, New Testament living in light of the law. So we are now under the law of Jesus, aka the law of love or the, the spirit of the law. When you're reading the law and you're looking at the principles and with the wisdom behind it, that's how God wants you to live. And that's how the spirit enables and embodies you to be able to live. So when we're looking back at the ex- at the, when we're looking back at the law, it's like an x-ray. It shows us what's inside. So if we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know that the things are bad. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't know, I mean, we would kind of know, but like God spells it out very carefully. These things are sin. But if we didn't have the law, we might not know that. Um, so the law is like an x-ray machine. Similar to if you have cancer, you might not know it. And then you go have a test and then, then you know, hey, guess what? You had it all along. You're just now aware of it. Um, and our heart's default setting is rebellion and sin. That's like as humanity, like our sinful fallen nature is rebellion and sin. And so wrapping all these up, looking through everything that we've talked about, God has set these, has set these laws to show his wisdom and looking for those finding and finding those principles can really enrich your understanding of God and how he loves his people unconditionally and how he treats them um, as his children and as he is a father. I think it's really special that he has that relationship. At the very end, when you're looking at the Old Testament law, look for God's wisdom. Look for the living out of the principle of love God and love others and thank him for what he has done in the past and that now Instead of having a bunch of rules to show you how to live, you have, we, we hope you are a believer and have the Holy Spirit inside you and God is writing his laws on your heart um, and you are following him because he loves you and you love him back. It's, it's a pretty, really, it's a really neat thing to be living on this side of the cross and not having that weight of the law, knowing that you can never live up to it. With that, we're going to transition into our question of the week. And this week, that question is, if you had the choice, what food chain would you close? Bethany. Taco Bell. Why? I've eaten there once. It was a mistake. (laughs) It was disgusting. Yeah. Just the idea and the stories that I've heard, like, no, that, that whatever they're serving does not need to be ingested. Ever. I have to agree with you on that one. Really? I have not eaten there, but I know people, like more than one, who have like gotten food poisoning there. Yep. And I also watched my three-year-old foster sister puke up a full meal of Taco Bell. Oh, well, that'll do it. Yeah. We weren't the ones who fed it to her, um, but yeah, she came home and was standing in her crib puking it, and that was enough for me. I was like, nope, I'm done. I also had a couple of teachers who 
yeah, I had to take time off because I ate a Taco Bell. I had my experience at Taco Bell was driving through um, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee area, and stopping for breakfast. And that being like the only place that was there. And the two guys who I was carpooling with, or like driving, like caravaning with rather, were like, oh my goodness, let's go to Taco Bell. And I was like dead tired because it was the end. Anyway. And it was just like, this is what I have to choose to eat. And it was just like awful. Like my stomach was not happy and just the smell was disgusting. And I'm like, why did I choose? To? And they're all like, dude, this is amazing. Like, it's so good. And I'm like, this is bad. I yeah. Well, they were guys in college. They'd eat anything. <laughs> anyway, that's my, well, how about you, Emily? Which one would you close? And you um, can't say Taco Bell because I already chose it. Well, that is one I would close. Yeah. But I ate once at Arby's once and it, it felt like I'd eaten a brick. Like it just sat in my stomach. Oh, like for the rest of the day it was awful i didn't like it it was just so it tasted good and then like half an hour after i ate it i was like this was a mistake and i think i just had like a normal burger and fries like i didn't Mm. have anything crazy but yeah that did not sit well with me so yeah i haven't eaten there since (laughs) that was like four years ago (laughs) Hmm. but yeah all right that is our episode that's the end of our three-part series on the old testament law We would love to hear what you think. Um, How has Mm. this impacted you? How has this encouraged you to learn more? And and what did you learn more that maybe we didn't talk about? Um, We'd love to hear about it. You can email us at renewtheology at gmail.com. You can um, message us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Renew Theology Podcast. Um, You can find us on Spotify at the Renew Theology Podcast and on Apple Podcasts, Renew Theology Podcast. Um, We're on Instagram at Renew Theology. Um, So Emily's over on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Um, So you can message us and check out what we're doing, comment. We'd love to hear from you. Um, We've actually heard from a few listeners and it was just a delight to be able to meet people because it's neat that what we are recording sitting here in a kitchen goes out to the world and it actually, people actually listen to it. It's just the coolest thing. So we're so grateful for you and for your support and just that you're there. On that note, we would love for more people to be able to hear us. So if you wouldn't mind, if you're on an an Apple device, if you could go to Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom and tap those five stars, um, and then just leave a quick review, that would be so fantastic. Like that would just make our week. It would be so great. Um, We'd love to hear what you think, and we'd love to get this out to as many people as possible our whole goal in this is that the lord would take what we've studied and what we're sharing and bring it to the people who need to hear it when they need to hear it and that it would be a blessing to others so if you would share this podcast rate us review us with everyone that you know um, we would be appreciative we'll see you next time bye